And we are live. This is the Wrap It Up on Blast Raps post-game show. My name is Sheldon Alexander, and this edition of Wrap It Up is brought to you by Clean Cuts Barbershop. 2013 Danforth Avenue in the East End of Toronto. Clean Cuts, the multicultural barbers that will always keep you fresh for any and all occasions. So go see Skip and the Crew, and as a wise man once said, tell them that I sent you. Check them out on Instagram at Clean Cuts Toronto, or give them a call. 416-917-4833 to book your appointment now. Raptors fans, Raptors fans, Raptors fans, thank you for tuning in as Raptors win against the Orlando Match 121-109. Again, shouts to the people tuning in live on Twitter at Shell Alexander as we're here live after each and every Toronto Raptors game. Same thing goes for Instagram at Sheldon Alexander. Thank you once again for tuning in, especially huge shout out to the podcast crew. As always, if you can't make it to the show live, we got you covered as a podcast, which you can find on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and of course, YouTube. Like and subscribe there. Tell your friends. Greatly appreciate it. Just search On Blast Podcast. You can find this podcast, the Raps Post Game Show. Same thing goes for our Ball On Blast Podcast, which is an NBA-wide conversation. All of those things, same place. Thank you guys for tuning in and repping the On Blast podcast movement. Well, Raptors fans, uh, again, shouts to tuning in. Big win for the Raps, 121-109 against the Orlando Magic. And you know what? There's a lot going on here. People already are uh, writing in the chat here saying, R.I.P. Nipsey. Did you see Kawhi's shoes? Kawhi's shoes were a thing dedicated to Nipsey Hustle as well. Um, we will talk a bit about that at the very end of the podcast. I got a little something I definitely want to say at the end of the pod about that situation, which is a tough one for sure. Uh, but to start the game, to start the podcast, let's get to what happened here in this one. As the Toronto Raptors, this was their fourth and final meeting against the Orlando Magic. Orlando came in winners of two of those three games. But again, one loss, there was no Kawhi. Another one of the games, the Raptors won at the buzzer. If you remember a Danny Green shot at the buzzer. And in fact, in Orlando laid the whooping on the on the Toronto Raptors 113-98. That was the last meeting. So this time coming in, you have Orlando fighting for their playoff lives, fighting for seeding. And the Toronto Raptors team that kind of had a week where they were playing against teams that were, you know, tanking for Zion, probably more interested in losses and wins. I'm talking about the New York Knicks and the Chicago Bulls, a bunch of teams that, you know, you would struggle to name their starting lineup on both of those squads. So this was a good reality check, I want to say, for the Raps, you know, kind of a tune-up. Let's see, like, make sure their, their P's and Q's are in order before they get to the playoffs. Because, as mentioned, the way that the standings are set up at this point, Orlando could be a team that could sneak in, but also a team that the Raptors could be facing. It's a team that, as mentioned, very confident against the Toronto Raptors. So you kind of want to send a message, and especially with the last time as they laid the whooping on you, this was a big game for the Raps. But Orlando, as mentioned, came in, fighting for their playoff lives, and they showed it early. They came out shooting the lights out against the Toronto Raptors, and early on, they were all over the place on defense. They were getting blocks on offense. They were just running the floor, and they were splashing threes like it was nobody's business. 
I didn't know Orlando had that in them in terms of just being able to shoot the lights out like that, but they couldn't miss. And one thing I will say, Jonathan Isaac, I was super impressed with that kid. That kid is long. He's athletic. He was all over the place in passing lanes. It's rare that you see someone, and I'm making this term up, but kind of out Pascal Pascal, if that makes sense. But Isaac was all over the place. It was one of those things, too, where the scoring numbers weren't there. Maybe the defensive numbers, he had three blocks and three steals. But it just seemed that, especially early on in the game, he was all over the place. Whether it was, again, getting his hands in passing lanes. He's playing solid defense on Pascal. I don't know if I've seen someone pick Pascal's handle that many times in a game before this whole season. The Siakam glow-up that we've been witness to, it almost looked like he could take on anyone playing that stretch four. He was that prototypical stretch four that was too fast for most other fours, but could also hold his own defensively. Isaac gave them trouble. And they pointed out during the game, and there's something that I didn't really realize, but Siakam coming into this game was averaging just nine points and shooting 37% from the field this season against the Orlando Magic. That trend continued tonight. Pascal struggled in this game. 28 minutes, six points, two of nine shooting. He did have four assists, add in three rebounds, but it wasn't the same Pascal Siakam that we're used to. The one thing I will say about the Toronto Raptors, and especially their starters, once they got it going, the ball movement was crazy. And I'm emphasizing the starters because Siakam had four assists. Kawhi Leonard had five assists. Marcus Gasol had four assists. Kyle Lowry had seven assists. All of those passing numbers are incredible. When you have four of your five starters with at least four assists, that's a big deal. That's a sign of great ball movement. And of course, the person to benefit the most from this great ball movement was your man's Danny Green. My boy Dwayne was at my house earlier, uh, helping me out with a little something before uh, we started recording the podcast. And he's a North Carolina guy, so obviously he's always been boosting Danny Green. But one of the things that I was saying was when you see Danny Green shoot like this, and overall what Danny Green has brought to this team, again, if you would have told me that the Raptors traded DeMar DeRozan for Danny Green and like a pick, you could have talked me into that deal. That's just how important Danny Green is. And when Danny Green is shooting the way that he shot tonight, 15, 7 of 10 from three-point land, the Raptors are almost unstoppable. 29 points for Danny Green. And it's just what he does in terms of the ball movement. Like, There's been so much argument about Marcus Gasol and what he does for the team and how he's fit into the offense and all that. But the biggest benefactor has been Danny Green and to a lesser extent, Kyle Lowry. But what it does for those guys is it gets them open shots. These guys are already high-level shooters, but now when you take high-level shooters and you give them higher percentage shots, meaning more open shots because of the ball movement, Danny Green's going to be so successful. And that's why you've seen the crazy numbers from Danny Green. I'm not sure what the update is and what he's up to after this game, but he was already shooting more than 50% from three over the past few weeks, at least since the deadline. Like, it's been disgusting, the numbers that the Raptors are putting up, and it's all based from ball movement. Now, this game at the beginning, it was almost as if Orlando 
was shooting the lights out, but you kind of knew that as long as the Raptors kept it close, Orlando, they don't have the guns like that. Like, they weren't going to be able to keep that up. But boy, did they start off hot. They had seven assists on their first seven made field goals, which is a stat that I always like to point to because that, signi- that signifies the ball movement, right? How many assists you're getting compare in comparison to how many made field goals you have. That shows the ball movement as opposed to iso ball. And one thing we've seen more so from the Toronto Raptors as of late is a higher number of assists in comparison to their field goals made. Again, ball movement is key. And when this team is moving the ball, and they're knocking down open threes because of said ball movement, add that to their championship-level defense, this Raptors seem scary. It's not hyperbole. I've been saying it the whole year. When this team gets down, and we talk about it a lot, them trying to flick the switch on and off because it's a veteran team, right? You're talking about Danny Green, Kawhi, Kyle Lowry, Marcus All. Those are all vets. They're not able or they're smart enough to know that you can't be going all out. You need to have different gears for different moments of the regular season. But you see it from time to time when the team gets down, and that happened in this game. That happened in this game because Orlando was up early. Orlando was shooting the lights out, and they were getting easy buckets too, right? Orlando was shot 62% in that first quarter. They led 36-29 after one. And after that point, it's like the Raptors just decided, okay, Forget about the terrible calls. Forget about Orlando's red-hot shooting. We're going to defend, and that is how we're going to get back into this game. And that's what happened. The Raptors in that second quarter completely dominated the game, and it showed the level between where the Raptors are at, at the top of the Eastern Conference, and where the Orlando Magic are at, fighting to get into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. The Raptors closed out the first half, on a 19-2 run. Their defense was so good, in fact, Orlando basically had a five-minute scoring drought. A five-minute scoring drought in an NBA game is crazy. That's something that's kind of unheard of. But what the Raptors were doing, it was just crazy defense. They were in crazy passing lanes, and they're turning their defense into offense. And again, when they're cooking like that, they're a very tough team to play against. And the reason is, if you watch... Danny and Kawhi and the way that they work together, you can tell sometimes they're switching plays or sometimes they're switching screens, sometimes they're not. But between Danny, Kawhi, and Pascal, the versatility that those three guys have to switch basically anything, and then you know about Kyle Lowry's resume, stepping into passing lanes, taking charges, not being afraid to guard anyone in the post. And now you're adding Marcus Gasol, who's a different kind of defensive presence because it's all defensive positioning with Gasol. But you add all those things together and the Toronto Raptors are a scary, scary team because when those guys decide we're going to defend, it's lights out for the opponents because you see things like the one play that really stuck out to me a lot. There's a crazy play where someone shot it. I don't remember who it was, but Kawhi Leonard came out of nowhere and out-jumped Eric Gordon, or Aaron Gordon, pardon me. Aaron Gordon, who you remember jumping over a mascot in the slam dunk contest, so I say that to emphasize the hops that Aaron Gordon has. But Kawhi Leonard, out of nowhere, out-jumps Aaron Gordon for a two-handed monster rebound, swings it out to Mark Gasol, who knocks down the three, who 
got to give credit for a lot more confidently just taking that shot, like stepping into the three-pointer. But Gasol knocked that down for an and-one-three. And that was just a kind of play that, you know, that's going to show up in the stat sheet as just another rebound for Kawhi Leonard. But when your team is making a run like that, getting that extra possession, having that turn into, you know, what could have been a missed possession, Orlando goes down, gets a bucket to get some momentum, but instead it ends up being a great rebound and a four-point play, that's huge momentum. Again, little things that don't show up in the box score, but at the end of the day, mean so much more to a team making a run. Again, 19-2 run for the Raps to close the first half, and they ended up leading the first half 62-52. to 10-point lead. That was crazy. And it was a completely different team than what we saw in the first half, or in the first quarter, pardon me. The Toronto Raptors, when they decide to defend, they can play with anybody. And... Danny Green shooting the lights out like that, that's got to scare any team. And people might forget. People might forget the resume. But you go back to those Spurs championship years, and if Kawhi wasn't getting finals MVP, it might have been Danny Green. Danny Green is a big-time playoff performer. I keep saying that just in case people forget. They might not be familiar with the resume. They might just think that he's all streaky shooter. But when he's shooting it in confident, with confidence, and you can tell the Raptors are getting used to it because they're feeding him. They're looking for him. They can sense when he's feeling it. That Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard backcourt, man, or perimeter defense, not backcourt, but perimeter guys, that's disgusting. That's scary. And, it, and I bring this up again as a reminder. As crazy as Danny Green's shot was and when he's on, you know how crazy that is and unstoppable it is. But the flip side of that, and I keep bringing this up because this to me, it was a telltale sign. And then to watch them do it, to watch them operate was a different, a different animal altogether. But I always go back to an interview that Danny Green did early in the season. He was on first take and he said to them that him and Kawhi Leonard, they pride themselves on shutting down the other team's top perimeter guys. Night in, night out, that's what they pride themselves on. That wins in the playoffs. Again, people get mad at the Toronto Raptors because might, they might not come out with full intensity against the Chicago Bulls. They might get mad about the load management. They might get mad at all those things. But then you have games like this where, I tell you, don't play the results. Play things where you can see the difference in terms of the gears being shifted up. And from the first quarter to the second quarter, the second quarter was showing you what this team can be when they're playing at a high level. Again, it was just crazy. It's crazy to watch this team work when they're cooking like that. Danny Green, big boy night for Danny Green. Again, 29 points. Also, huge shouts. And this is a very positive sign for something that you want to see if you're Toronto Raptor fans. The bench play. Fred Van Fleet off the bench. He had 10 points and 7 assists. Add in 2 steals and 2 blocks. Serge Ibaka, who people have been still trying to argue about who should come off the bench, Serge or Marcus but to see Serge and Van Fleet work this well off the bench was really good. Serge with 15 points, six rebounds. Serge, you can tell too, is feeling more comfortable coming off the bench, knowing that at the end of the day, it's just effort. Whenever he's getting his minutes, if he's just all over the glass, if he's just active, I mean... I know this sounds weird, 
But when you come off the bench, you almost have more of a license to just pull shots, right? <laughs> to just take whatever shots, which is right up Serge Ibaka's alley. You don't have to tell Serge to, to not think twice before shooting. But seeing good minutes from Van Fleet, seeing good minutes from Serge off the bench, and combine that to a solid outing from Kyle Lowry, who the biggest part of Kyle Lowry's game to me is that now you don't need Kyle Lowry to get you 20 points a night. You don't need that. You need Kyle Lowry to pick his spots. You need Kyle Lowry to be able to knock down the open threes. Kyle Lowry shot three of six from three-point land in this game. You need Kyle to lead your offense and do all the other little Kyle Lowry things. Three steals. Kyle had a block. Kyle had six rebounds. You know the assist numbers are going to be there. That's seven assists for Kyle Lowry in this game. But again, Kyle Lowry can pick his spots a lot more and do a lot more of those Kyle Lowry things because you don't need him to get you 20 points a night. And that, to me, was a, the scariest part if you go back to where this Toronto Raptors team was when Kyle was dealing with the injuries in, in late December, early January. You're kind of wondering who's going to be the second leading scorer on this Raptors team. Where is the scoring going to come from? You needed Kyle Lowry to get you 15 to 20 every night to have a chance to win. This team isn't like that anymore. Because of the ball movement, your secondary scoring can come from Danny Green. You've seen Pascal develop into, on most nights, that secondary scorer behind Kawhi. You also have Marcus adding to Serge Ibaka. And those between all of those guys, very capable. If you get 12 and 7, 12, 7, and 6 from Kyle Lowry, you'll take that. You'll take that. I don't know. It, it just was a game where the Toronto Raptors, when they shifted gears, that's where I look at that team and I'm like, yep, that is a team that is ready for the playoffs. That is a team that you don't want to play in the playoffs because that team can defend and they can get at you in multiple different ways. Again, Pascal Siakam has been such a big story for the Raptors in this season and he did not have a good game at all. Didn't matter. It was all right. And it's okay. Remember, he's young. He's going to get there. The matchups sometimes aren't going to dictate the same level of production that we've been getting from Pascal night in and night out. But the team is that deep. He affects the game in other ways that it's okay. He did a lot of other things. And that's why I've always been happy with what this Raptors team can bring to the table. Because they have a bunch of guys that even if they're not scoring, they can affect the game in different ways. And just look at that lineup, man. When that lineup is cooking, Lowry, Danny Green, Marcus Ole, Kawhi, and Siakam. That's a crazy lineup. Just saying. Just saying. Let's get to some comments, though. Because, again, shout to you guys for tuning in. Whether you're on iTunes, or sorry, whether you are on um, Twitter, at Shell Alexander, or whether you are on Instagram, at Sheldon Alexander, Huge shout to you guys for tuning in, but let's get to some comments. First off, we will start on Instagram. I'll scroll up to the beginning to get uh, some of these comments. Let's see here. Someone says, great win. That was massive. Kawhi Steele leading to the Gasol 3 and 1 was when they seemed to say no more playing around. Thanks for doing these podcasts, G. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do appreciate that. Thank you for tuning into these podcasts because that's what makes this a conversation that makes it fun because there's going to be things again that I pick up on that you guys might not and vice versa. And that's what makes this a conversation because 
we're all just watching the same game, tuning in, and then now trying to bask in the glory that is the best season ever in Toronto Raptors franchise history. Um, someone else says, we mentioned it earlier, they asked if we saw the shoes. If you pay attention normally, Kawhi Leonard's been rocking either black and white or red New Balances. Tonight, he wore the blue New Balances, and he had a message written on them that was RIP to Nip. And for those who don't know, that's in reference to Nipsey Hussle. And it's just one of those things where there's always storylines that people don't know, which is okay, and it's all right. But at the end of the day, if you, if you really bring on the fact of what certain things mean to different people, because things happen and you look at it and people will say, oh, it's just a rapper. Oh, it's some gang stuff. But it's deeper than that. There's always a deeper story to that. I don't want to get into it right now because I still I feel weird to get into that now and then get back to basketball. So I'm going to try to save that stuff for the end. But again, RIP to Nipsey. And yes, I did see Kawhi's shoes. I do want to see, though, if something happens in the post game, meaning someone asks them about it, because I've heard stories or read a bit that there might have been a relationship there on some level. And being a fan of Nipsey as I am, I'm interested to hear uh, if there was a relationship with Kawhi, just kind of what level that was. But again, we'll get to that a little bit later. But for now, let's get to some more comments. Uh, someone says, Siakam takes it personal. He just needs to adjust. That is a great, 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 great observation there by Exodus Movements in, uh, on Instagram. You see it sometimes where Siakam gets a little frustrated and he drives one time, tries to cross over on Isaac. He picks him. And Pascal now, instead of moving the ball, instead, instead, he continues and then tries to go at him again and forces up a tough shot. That will come. That will come with more reps from Pascal. That will come with more experience and more of an understanding of playing with the vets. Because, I mean, look at this game tonight. This is a tough game for the Raps, but Kawhi Leonard only took 12 shots in this game. Kawhi only finished with 15 points in this game. You realize when other guys have it going and when you might not have it going. 5 of 12 isn't a horrible shooting night for Kawhi by any stretch, but he's not forcing anything. He was letting the offense come to him. He was doing everything within the flow of the offense, but most importantly, looking for his guy, Danny Green, who had the red hot hand. And that's the next level of Siakam because you got to remember, he's giddy. He's a kid still, right? He's giddy with excitement every single night. He's hype. And I think this was a game where you kind of saw a lot of the things I talk about where the forcing up of the shots, it's not necessary at times. And it's okay. It's an adjustment. It will come. That's part of the learning process of becoming, you know, good consistently. Becoming great in the NBA. Let's get to some more comments. Uh, someone named Fly Miss says, either the Raps are becoming a three-point shooting team or the Magic can't guard the three to save their life. I would go the other way and say the Raptors are becoming a good three-point shooting team because they're trusting the ball movement. This has been enough games by now that it's becoming a trend. We mentioned the Raptors were leading the NBA in three-point shooting since the Marc Gasol trade. If you pay attention to what's been going on, all their stats, passes per game, points off assists, or sorry, assists or field made field goals off assists, all of those numbers, 
total passes per games. All those things have gone up since the trade, and especially since Gasol's been in the starting lineup. And it's no coincidence that Danny Green's shooting numbers have gone up. Kyle Lowry's three-point shooting numbers have gone up. We talked about it on the last podcast. I think all the Raptors are shooting, have been shooting over 37%. I think that's what the number was since the trade. Like, that's incredible. That's just disgusting, right? It's just one of those things where ball movement. You have decent shooters. Kawhi Leonard is a decent three-point shooter. Danny Green, we know, is a great three-point shooter. Kyle Lowry is a pretty good three-point shooter. Marcus Gasol's become an okay three-point shooter. And we know about spicy, the corner spice, Pascal Siakam's three-point shooting. Those guys are all capable of hitting a three, but they're really capable of hitting open threes. Trust the ball movement. It's crazy. Uh, more comments. Someone says, I was getting anxiety watching the first quarter. Uh, another comment says, I missed the first quarter, so I just saw the threes. <laughs> that was really a better time to tune in. I mean, if you missed the first quarter, I could understand that. But for those of us that watched the first quarter, yeah, it was kind of like, I don't know who this Orlando Magic team is, like who they are. It was crazy. Uh, somehow DJ Augustine is still a thing in the NBA in 2019, but he was leading the troops. He was leading their squad. Fournier is knocking down some shots. It was just coming from any, everywhere. And they got off to a really good start. But again, the Raptors buckled down. Here we are. Another comment says, too bad JV got hurt. I feel like all the Raptor trade haters jinxed him. <laughs> this is an interesting thing to me. Because, hey, I'm always here for the discussion. I'm always here for the conversation. I apologize if at times someone was offended or people were offended because I made comments saying, questioning the level of understanding of basketball if you were against the Marcus Gasol trade or if you were against Marcus Gasol's effect on the Toronto Raptors. Now, I apologize if people were offended by that, but I firmly stand by that. And that's not just me playing the result. Because at the end of the day, it was announced today that Jonas Valanciunas will miss the rest of the season with a grade two ankle sprain. And all I can say is always trust Masai. Masai Ujiri has a lot more information than we do. Masai Ujiri pays attention to a lot more things than we do. Do you not think that Masai Ujiri knows that once Jonas Valanciunas gets a, a certain level of, I think load management is in my head, <laughs> and that's why I was going to say that, but when his usage goes up, let's say, when Jonas Valanciunas starts carrying a bigger load, it doesn't last very long. He gets hurt. That's not a knock on JV. Injuries happen in the game of basketball. That's just a thing. But Masai Ujiri has seen this happen most often than not. He's paying attention. He's there. He was there to see. He's had a front row seat to watch him get injured in that playoff run in the series. Was it against the Miami Heat? JV was doing really well. Started off great against Hassan Whiteside, and then he got hurt. We saw it at the start of this season. Same thing. What was it? Two or three seasons ago. Great start to the season. JV gets hurt. It's just a reoccurring thing. And with the team, when you're one year all in, because remember, one year all in, hoping to recruit Kawhi Leonard for another year, you can't have things go wrong. You can't have another injury derail what it could be to where you're relying now on uh, Greg Monroe 
Because that's what would have happened if the Raptors kept Jonas Valanciunas. They would have kept Greg Monroe as insurance backup in case JV got hurt and the Raptors would be in a tough position. Now, you're going to say, oh, well, Marcus Gasol is injury prone. Yes, Marcus Gasol has gotten injured. But again, this is where I keep bringing up the gears, right? Watch Marcus Gasol on offense. He's not exuding too much effort a lot of times on defense. I know that sounds horrible, but that's why he has to pace himself. You see it from the first quarter to the second quarter in this game. The level of boxing out, the level of grabbing a rebound. He knows that this is a marathon, not a sprint. So at this stage of his career, he can't be going all out. And that's kind of what happens to players in this league. You learn to manage I hate to say load management, but you learn to manage your usage and how how much you're able to shift gears. JV, when he was getting maximized, he would get injured a lot, and that's just what would happen. But on top of that and beyond that, Marcus Gasol's just better. That was always the case of the situation. JV's numbers were inflated by the fact that he was their lead scorer. He was their number one option in Memphis. He was taking the most shots on a team that started Bruno Caboclo. And somehow, Raptors fans, and shout out to uh, this commenter who brings this up, the Raptors trade haters, because every single night people were tweeting out JV's stat line that he got 27-20. and 20. And it's like, cool, they have no other bigs playing. He's going to get every rebound. He's taking 20-plus shots a night. He's going to get 25 points. And I don't want this to sound as if I'm hating on JV. It's just... It's like Raptors fans don't allow themselves to enjoy nice things. The team that you have right now is really, really good. And Marcus Gasol has played a big part in that. And it's not just stats. Who was it last podcast? Was it Emma? I think it was Emma that brought up how Raptors fans can look at Kyle Lowry, understand how the effect that Kyle Lowry has had on this team during this run, and understand that it has more to do then points and rebounds and assists, then it's about intangibles, but yet not be able to understand the same thing when you're watching Marcus Gasol. The effect that he's had on this team is just crazy. Again, the numbers when you're talking about the ball movement and the Raptors' ability to get points off of assists, even when you go to a game like this, and I know this is going to be, it's altered a little because again, obviously the starters didn't really play much of the fourth quarter, but at the end of the day, you have the Raptors with 31 assists on 42 made field goals. 31 assists on 42 made field goals. That's ball movement. You're seeing it night in, night out from the Toronto Raptors team. Uh, another comment. I'm so happy that gasoline is shooting the three more. Totally true. It helps, and that's what, that's what matters the most for the Toronto Raptors. And I know people have been kind of upset with Gasol. They want him to be more aggressive. Don't worry. It'll be there. If the Raptors get in a situation where the matchup suits it in the playoffs, Gasol is going to have a monster game. It's going to be incredible to watch. And there's going to be certain things that don't look good. There are a couple plays early where Kawhi fed him under the basket and he's not, like JV would go up and dunk that. No doubt about it. Gasol's not able to do that at this stage of his career so you're gonna have plays that look really really awkward but then you'll have the flip side you'll have the ball movement the assists the hockey assists 
the and one three because what you're seeing now, especially with Danny, Kyle Lowry, to a lesser extent, Kawhi Leonard, but especially Gasol, it's ball movement. They're trusting, they're trusting the read and react. They're not hesitating when they get the ball. They know what they're doing with the ball based on what the defense does. You saw that. Go back and watch a bunch of those Danny Green threes and just watch the passing that led to that wide open three. It's crazy. It's a beautiful thing. Another thing we got to shout out is Chris Boucher. This comes from Instagram again. This person says, we have Chris Boucher. He's the first international player to win both MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the G League. Got to shout out Chris Boucher. That's a great season. That's a great season. Got to shout out Chris Boucher. You got to shout out Raptors 905 and what that that whole entity has done for this Raptors team. Because as much as we talk about what Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green and Kyle Marcusall do for this team, Pascal Siakam came from 905. He developed in 905. He got a lot of confidence from cooking in 905. I'm not mistaken, wasn't Pascal Finals MVP? for the 905 when they won the championship. But he got a lot of confidence there. Fred Van Fleet, the reason the Raptors were able to trade Corey Joseph was because of what Fred Van Fleet, the work that he put in for 905. Obviously, DeLon Wright, who's no longer with the Raptors, but he was also able to develop and gain more confidence to the point where he became a valuable asset that got you Mark Gasol. Norman Powell, another guy, able to cook in 905, Good work there. The point is, the Raptors have back-to-back MVPs of the G League. It's just showing the development of what that team can bring, but also the ability to to give these guys hope. Because when you see other guys have the the success, if you're Malcolm Miller, if you're Chris Boucher, and you watch what Siakam's doing now, you watch what Fred's doing now, that gives you the confidence that if you, for lack of a better term, trust the process— Put in the work in the in the G League, follow instructions, grind it out, pound the rock, to quote our man's Dwayne Casey. But if you follow that lead and do that, why can't Malcolm Miller have the same glow up that Siakam did two years from now? Right? So huge shouts to everything, the organization, top down, for the work that they've done with 905 because it's helped expedite the process of this team the Toronto Raptors being a legit team in the NBA. Uh, <laughs> Emma did put her hand up saying it was her that made that comment last podcast about understanding the intangibles that Gasol brings, much like the intangibles that Kyle Lowry brings. This team, man, I'm telling you, this team just fits a lot better. The pieces fit in a lot better. And once playoff Kawhi laces them up, let's go. Uh, someone says, don't you just love Sheldon coming through with the shoutouts and the podcast every game? Keep up the great content, bro. Uh, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Thanks for you guys for tuning in. Because again, without you guys here to talk with me, wouldn't be able to do this. I'd just be a weirdo like talking to myself. So I appreciate you guys giving me someone else to talk to. <laughs> it really, really helps. Um, uh, so many comments, really appreciate it. Try to get to all of them, but most of the time I fail. But again, Raptors win 121-109 over the Orlando Magic, a game in which the Raptors were down early, 
But that second quarter, they took over 19-2 to run to close out the first half. That basically was game over for the Orlando Magic. Danny Green shot the lights out with seven three-pointers in this game. He shot 11-15 overall to finish with a game-high 29 points for the Toronto Raptors in the victory. And again, my name is Sheldon Alexander. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. And I tease it off the top, off the front end, and... I guess I'll get to it now, but uh, some of you might know uh, on the unfortunate news of what happened yesterday in LA and the passing of Nipsey Hussle. Uh, I hesitated to call him rapper Nipsey Hussle because to me, just putting that term and, and boxing him in as just that kind of seems to belittle. Not that there's anything wrong with being a rapper, but he was just so much more. And the reason why I was holding out until the end to tell this story is because um, I'm a huge fan. I'm a fan. I'll say this much. I got put on the Nipsey Hustle before he dropped his last album last year that was called uh, Victory Lap. And the way the internet works, and this is really funny how this stuff works, because I was in a meeting a couple weeks ago, and the internet was described as a vocal minority, meaning... It's very loud, but it doesn't really represent, it doesn't give you an accurate depiction of how many people are followed or how many people follow something or into something or watching something or rep something. And that phrase stuck with me over the past week or two since I've heard that. It was funny to see on, to be on Twitter and hear that vocal minority react to what happened to Nipsey Hussle last night. And it hit me on a bunch of different levels because first, I mean, I got to thank the internet and Twitter and social media for being turned on to Nipsey Hussle and Victory Lap last year because came across a bunch of different interviews where you're able to find out that this guy is just about a lot of different things. You know, I'll say that music means a lot of different things to different people, but to me, I'm always here for the hip hop or the music that's about a struggle, that's about you know, there's a story behind it. There's a meaning behind it. There's someone's trying to tell you something. They're trying to educate you, motivate you, drop a little something in there, some nuggets, some gems for you to get you going on your day. And that was a Victory Lap album for me. Again, I got put onto it after seeing interviews with Nipsey Hussle on The Breakfast Club and another interview with Nipsey Hussle when he was on, uh, uh, it was a Gary V, a Gary V podcast or something, but both of those things got me to this guy who was talking about how he wanted to reinvest in his community. He wanted to give back to his community and motivate his community. He wanted so much more for the generation coming up behind him because of the way that he grew up, there are very few outlets for kids, for people growing up in those neighborhoods, those impoverished neighborhoods. And that's kind of what he strove to do. And I'll be honest with you, I know this sounds dumb and I don't want to, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle it in any way, shape or form, but a project like this that I'm doing, it's in no doubt in reflection because I spent the past year <laughs> bumping that album every morning before I went to work. I, I'm not even exaggerating. I, I'm going to tell you 75% of the mornings over the past year, that album's been on in the morning as that get up and go, that that extra kick in the ass to take on whatever's going on with the, with the rest of your day. Put the bullshit aside and get back to what you need to do. 
so that you can do what you want to do, if that makes sense. So when the news trickled out about what happened, the, my biggest worry was that we'd get all we'd get all caught up in, you know, how or why this happened, or in terms of like, is this some gang shit? Is this some rapper shit? Have we seen this story before? So I wanted to just talk about this and kind of just point out the fact that music means a lot of different things to different people. And just because it might not have meant the same thing to you, that's okay. Because it means different things to other people. And to me, it was always the motivation. It was always the dedication to your craft to do more, to do better, to gain a better understanding of the business that you're in so that if you do have the opportunity to develop, to grow, to continue on that path that you're on, to do it. Because you can do it. And if someone else before you did something, that means you can do it too. It sounds crazy. It sounds dumb. But I'm telling you, there's no doubt in my mind that without that album, I'm not sitting here talking to you guys right now, having this thing become what it is now, which is just a fun project that I believe in, but something that's also snowballing and teaching me what I'm capable of, that I'm capable of more. Again, you watch this podcast, you know I shout out Meek Mill at the end. I shout out Jay. You see the What Would Hova Do? All that stuff goes to show what music means to people, but what music means to different people because of the way that we grow up. The ability to tell stories, to explain the way that we grow up because it's different than most of the people that we associate with on a daily basis. No, I didn't grow up anywhere near South Central LA. I grew up in Toronto. But so much of that struggle is still relatable. So much of that, you know, that, that fact that certain people grow up and you need to self-motivate. You're not allowed to be vulnerable. You're not allowed to complain about what's going wrong. You just got to put that hard hat on, for lack of a better term, and grind through whatever you're dealing with. It was cool. I urge people to, to if you don't know, go on to YouTube and look up some interviews. Just take in what the man was talking about because it's deeper than music. It's deeper than rap. The stuff that he was trying to develop, that he was trying to instill in his community, it's on a way deeper level than just music. I mean, my guy was talking about why is it that in inner cities, there's no healthy food around. It's all processed, fast food. And that was one of the things he was trying to change by putting like fresh meat markets in the hood, right? Like, I'm just talking about a difference in terms of way of life, but a way of thinking. There's a quote I tweeted out earlier on that was in a great LA Times article today about how you know everything about this dude was deeper than rap and i tweeted this out earlier on and this hit me and one of the things i'm going to read today quote in our culture there's a narrative that says follow the athletes follow the entertainers and that's cool but there should be something that says follow elon musk follow mark zuckerberg i think that with me being an influential artist and young and coming from the inner city it makes sense for me to be one of the people that's waving that flag it's just getting people to think more to be more i'm a little older so jay is my guy right 
Jay's that dude that, you know, said, I was just a kid that grew up in 5C, so there's someone beside me, someone below me, someone above me. And I got to the heights that I got to, which means that someone else that grew up the same way, it's capable for them. Jay was my guy with that, right? Nipsey, it's a different generation, it's a different struggle, but it's all the same. And you're going to go on the internet and you're going to see all these different stories that come out now. And it's sad because all these stories are going to come out now after the fact. But it's sad to think about it. But sometimes that's what it takes to, to help the next generation go on, to make that next move. This was a guy who, when the record labels were trying to tell him, take this contract, take this deal, he turned it down. Because his fight was to own his own masters, to own his own music, to sign a deal in which he wasn't getting taken advantage of. And to prove that fact, he did that whole thing where he decided to, he was going to sell a thousand albums for a hundred dollars. He was going to do that to prove to the record label that, cool, you're trying to offer me marketing, you're trying to offer me all these things, but I'm telling you that I'm the asset here because I have the people behind me. Gatekeepers can try to tell you so much and control so much, but at the end of the day, it's the content creators that hold the power. And that's what he was trying to do. And once you start educating the generation below you on things like that, people get scared. But it was more than that stuff. That's the business stuff. I'm just talking about the normal human being stuff. You see people crying, like the people in their neighborhood crying. He gave jobs to homeless people to basically sweep and wash the windows of the plazas that he bought. There's a story I read today. This lady said, she said, hello, neighborhood. I've been trying to call in all morning and couldn't get through the phone lines. I think she's calling in the Big Boys neighborhood, which is a famous uh, all-hip-hop station in L.A. So she says, I've been trying to call in all morning and couldn't get through the phone lines. I just wanted to share a quick story with your team. My husband has been assigned to the Crenshaw District to upgrade and replace the streetlights. For the past few months, my husband has been telling me stories about this amazing shop owner who always comes out with snacks, water, and sodas. Every time, the shop owner thanks him for the work and upgrading the area. A few times, this shop owner tried hooking up my husband with, three, with free merchandise. My husband would tell me what a cool and real nice guy he was. Yesterday, my husband called me crying and very distraught. My husband told me, you know that shop owner who I'm always telling you about? I was like, yeah, what's up? My husband then proceeded to tell me, well, I just saw his picture on the news and it turns out it was Nipsey Hussle. My husband is just a simple streetlight electrician and no one has ever been so kind to him on his job. This story, this short story is just a small example of a great man's character. I'm so sad. Again, those are the stories that you need to remember and go forward with instead of whatever gang crap is going to come out about how he died. Because the thing that people don't understand when you don't grow up in the inner city and you don't really have an understanding of that life situation is that not everything is black and white. Not everything is right or wrong. Everything essentially becomes a shade of gray. And so... You have to choose and realize the positives that this person was trying to do in terms of refurbishing, you know, buying equipment for kids, refurbishing playgrounds, giving jobs to people within the community. In the building that he created, 
It was supposed to be like an open office space where entrepreneurs could come and rent office space and network with other like-minded people within the community. And it was directly aimed at people within his inner city community to help develop and nourish them. That was on one floor. The second floor was all about the tech space and trying to find the next Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. Like That's crazy. That's just thinking on a different level. We hear a lot of people talk about giving back to their community or charity work. This was a person living and breathing it every single day. I didn't mean to go on for that long about Nip, but I even yesterday thought about writing something and I couldn't get the words out. And I thought I was going to say something a little short at the end of this podcast. Ended up going on for a little longer than I thought. So apologies for all those people who had to listen to that. But I thought it was a very important thing. The other thing too, if you don't understand what's going on, man, you're seeing... And the reason I brought up the vocal minority thing is just because it was funny to see how many people were touched by that from all circles, all walks of life, even NBA players. You saw so many players tweeting out condolences, whether it was Steph Curry. I didn't even see that interview that he did with Steph Curry until last night. But that was another thing that was so inspirational and so just like relatable, if that makes sense. The fact that him and Steph Curry, Steph Curry's got to be the farthest thing from hood you could ever picture or think of. But to see that interview, to see those two interact, It just tells you the kind of person this was, the kind of mission that this guy was on. There's a lot of talk about the Dr. Sebi stuff, which is a whole other level and a whole other deep dive, which is a story for another day that I'm sure we'll come up with. But again, just take a look, educate yourselves. In this era, I feel like what happens is people don't know about something until you write it off. When this is the information age, It's so easy to Google and find out whatever it is that we need to find out. So I urge you, if you don't know, and you might not know much about Nipsey Hussle, because, hey, to someone not into hip-hop and you hear the the name Nipsey Hussle, (laughs) you might be like, what? What is this? Trust me. Google it. Watch some interviews. Check that piece in the New York, in the uh, LA Times today. It's a very good read. And understand that when you're seeing Russell Westbrook LeBron, Kawhi Leonard, again, Kawhi Leonard, an LA area guy, right? You saw that, the the tribute on his shoe that he wrote tonight. Like that's a lot of different levels, a lot of different, for lack of a better term, types or personalities within the NBA. You know, James Harden celebrating his MVP trophy with Nipsey Hussle last year. Like it's just a lot of different levels, a lot of different layers to this. This was a tough one for the culture. And that's why you're going to see so many people having trouble being able to articulate themselves with talking about this because this is a big loss man that would hurt so i'm gonna wrap up now uh again my name is sheldon alexander thank you for tuning in to this the wrap it up podcast because i really did used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this this is the wrap it up on blast raps post game show as always unpolished and unapologetic until next time see ya on blast (laughs) 